Cubicle Night Noodlings, recorded on the 31st of July, 2020. This is my corner of the internet where I talk about the fun things that tickle my nerdy nerve endings. You know, I'd like to say something interesting about the number 17. Well, I know it's a prime number. So last year, you're a minor in the United States, perhaps other places. Team 17 was a great video game house in the 90s that made the game Worms and some others. That was cool. I played a lot of Worms some years back. On this episode, I'll be talking about Fusion 360 and architectural design, MechBoard 64, Zoom Meeting Large UI Element Fix, Tuxedo Pulse 15, a bit of follow-up, my open SUSE corner, and a computer history retrospective. Over the years, I've been asking my computer to do a lot more than what I used to, and, and I've recognized this, this sort of trend. One thing in particular, message services. You know, way back in the day of AOL Instant Messenger or AIM and Same Time and, and all these Yahoo Chat, MSN and all that stuff, I used to be able to have one application called Pigeon that would just do everything. There's another one I, I used to, some KDE variation that was very similar. Uh, don't remember what it's called, not important. But I noticed like today I use Google Hangouts. Actually, I don't use Google Hangouts so much anymore. Telegram, Discord, Slack, Microsoft Teams, the Matrix, Riot, Chat. Um, and then and then I, I do other things too, like file syncing. It used to just be NSYNC and Dropbox or just Dropbox. And now I'm using Sync Thing and NSYNC. I, I don't really use Dropbox much anymore. But I, I just noticed that it'd be nice to have all these things consolidated or maybe offloaded to another computer and, and maybe free up my, my laptop or something. I don't really know. I, I've tried other chat co- consolidation applications. Those are okay, but they, they either lack some features or something. And, and I've just been kind of noodling this around. How could I somehow consolidate all this and make it less of a burden on my mobile system? I don't know yet, but that's something I'd be noodling around for a while. Lately, I've been using Fusion 360 for doing some architectural design type tasks. I'm not an architect. I don't claim to be one. But I do know how to put things together in a CAD system, namely Fusion 360, for doing some design work on a uh, on a renovation I want to do for my garage. My big project of the year, and a lot of this depends on municipal approval. So my current building is basically garbage. It's too small. It's totally inadequate for my needs and it, it's in need of repair. I need new space for my dusty projects, you know, place to make wood and metal chips and other non-electronics friendly tasks like welding. And uh, I've, t- I've taken some measurements and I made a drawing on paper, but I kept making edits to it, using an eraser to you know erase lines and, and redraw them. After a while of making an eraser shaving mess on my table, I said, what, what am I doing here? I can just use Fusion 360. And then I can get a, a more accurate bill of material get a real good design and, and go through the process of building it before I actually build it, you know, the whole reason that you use CAD, largely. Also, you know, why not become more proficient in using Fusion 360 anyway? So I should have made some better calculated decisions of the footprint of the renovation right up front uh, to be more dimensionally friendly to the standard lumber sizes and spacings. I had to adjust the timeline to make the design history less, well, janky, because I had a lot, cored a lot of different moves and whatnot. I did that by going back in the timeline, setting a sketch as the frame of the footprint, and then associating the different posts and everything else to those different points. So I created a bill of material and currently working on the permit. Hopefully, I will be able to get this approved 
from my local municipality so that I can actually make this improvement before the snow flies. I'm really looking forward to that because there's so many more things I really want to do in a space that's not around my electronics or just in my backyard. One of the other features of the design that I'm really excited about is the service door entry. I was just going to do like a, a, a French door style of opening, but I couldn't find a reasonably priced door that wasn't all fancy. So I decided I'm just going to go with a sliding barn door style of door because that opens up the opportunity to do some automation. I can do some sort of an actuator to have it automatically open. This is kind of more of a, um, a goal, like a long-term goal to be able to to do this as far as like you know automating it but uh, it's something i'm going to do i'm excited about it and uh hopefully i get all the permits approved and everything needs to be done and then i can go ahead and start building here in the next couple weeks so it happened again uh unfettered access to the internet has yielded yet another romp down the bunny trail to places that i didn't have time to go but i did anyway I discovered this thing called the mechboard 64 now it's not like a full production this is a replacement keyboard for the Commodore 64 made with modern parts. So, you know, I have an extra empty bread bin Commodore 64 shell, and I'm often thinking I would like to have a modern re-implementation of the Commodore 64, specifically with that Ultimate 64 board inside of it. I'm periodically reminded that the old hardware can have some unwelcome hiccups, and it reminds me of why we moved beyond the 8-bit era. Some behaviors of it are just not welcome at all, you know, the game's freezing up, or, you know, something you know these these old chips are starting to fail so it does require some work to keep it going my current system and you know it glitches out you know it's occasionally crashing after hours of usage there's a lack of of complete drive compatibility with AS, with the sd to iec drive and so forth so i would like to have the best of both worlds 8-bit fun and charm wrapped up in a retro case but with the modern conveniences of storage and reliability and i think this would kind of help build that what I'm thinking Ultimate Commodore 64. So this thing isn't in production, but all the plans are out there that I could build it myself. I don't have the space to build the keyboard, but this looks like a real fun project, something to do over the winter time, you know, with the help of a, of a garage where I can make metal chips and so forth. So last week, I updated Zoom. And when I updated Zoom, the entire UI was gigantic. I know what's going on. I have a you know 1080p screen, and all the buttons were huge, like I was either losing my vision or uh, it was scaling up for like a high DPI display. And I couldn't figure out how to fix that. I was going through all the menus. And I did a little bit of searching online and I found the solution. This is not like a, it wasn't a huge deal. It was basically a, a configure file. You modify it to tell it not to automatically scale. And bang, you're done. Zoom looks good again. Hopefully that is a bug that they can get fixed. You know, fix it so not everybody has to fix their UI element size. But nonetheless, I got a fix. A link to how I did that is in the show notes, and you can fix your Zoom extra-large UI elements for yourself. I'm normally not ever excited about new hardware, but I have to say, I have started to notice the age of my Dell Latitude E6440. Now, not for doing standard everyday tasks, but when I'm doing a lot more CAD work with it, so I guess maybe using it outside its original design intent, I have noticed that my laptop is just not performing quite how I'd like. Working on more complex 3D CAD files, I noticed my computer does choke quite a bit. And it makes me a little bit sad because I love this computer. It's been great. I've enjoyed it for the last almost three years. It's been doing quite well for me. And you know, it's a fourth generation Intel processor, so uh, there's now six generations later already. So um, 
yeah, I guess it's you know, probably time to look at upgrading. So a computer that really interests me right now, like I really want it. And I, I never get excited about new computers, but I really want this one. It's the Tuxedo Pulse 15. Truly the first piece of new hardware that actually excites me. It's everything that I want, less three items, but it's, I think I can live without those. One, it doesn't have a smart card reader. I have said that I'm not going to buy a computer without a smart card reader, but I think I can just fix this with a USB device. I've seen some really neat looking ones out there that just looks like a uh, USB drive. You plug it in, it kind of flips open and you can plug in your, your uh, smart card reader. So I, I guess I can, I could potentially just live with that. The Tuxedo computer also does not have a track point and I've sort of become very, uh, I don't want to say addicted, but I like to use the track point on the Dell Latitude. You know, it's kind of a ThinkPad thing. I think TrackPoint might be a ThinkPad trademark name. Don't know. But I really like the TrackPoint. I, I use it all the time. It's great for, like, scrolling. And especially, like, when, you, when you're, when you're a, on a mobile setup, you know, if you just have the computer on your lap, it's really convenient to use the TrackPoint for scrolling and doing pretty much everything. Also, this computer doesn't have Thunderbolt with a USB-C. I was thinking about this quite a bit, and I guess that that is a little bit of an irritation, but... I. I kind of don't think Thunderbolt is ready anyway. I think maybe maybe it is, but every computer that I've used that used the Thunderbolt connection and not the USB 3, but the Thunderbolt connection have all been kind of ropey at best. And maybe it's better in Linux than it was in Windows. I didn't use it on a Linux computer. The displays would kick out. You'd have to like remove and reinsert the, the connector to get things to recognize. But I kind of don't think Thunderbolt is ready anyway. And I don't really want to wait for another laptop. So I'm thinking the Tuxedo Pulse 15 can come pre-equipped with OpenSUSE Leap on it, which I'm going to do that because I want to give OpenSUSE the credit for it because I have an almost unhealthy obsession with the project. And I'd like to get one of their universal USB-C docks. So use Display Link. Uh, Tuxedo does support, they do they do build the drivers on the open build service so you can use that to utilize that output. I don't know if I'm going to be pushing the display limits at all. I, I just have one, no, I just have one ultra-wide 1080p screen instead of having three monitors now. Somewhat simpler setup and cleaner looking, but um, I, I don't think that one would be a problem. I'm a little concerned about the how robust the USB-C connector is as far as power and data. I mean, how, how well will that thing work long-term? I don't know. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in USB-C, but maybe it's different on a laptop than it is on a mobile phone or tablet. So that remains to be seen. But, uh, but yeah, so I'm excited about this. I think, I'm hoping... Santa Claus brings it to me this Christmas. At least uh, I will write him a letter and see if maybe he can expedite it slightly before. For my Biddle follow-up, we haven't been testing any distributions. Now, I kind of miss it, but just kind of. There was some fun news that, that happened this last week on Biddle. The uh, Ubuntu Cinnamon remix, is, I guess, is struggling now with the process to become an official distribution due to third-party packages. Apparently, the process uh, is very time-consuming, and the lead developer, Josh. Apparently, he's a little bit uh, frustrated with the process. But, you know, he's young yet. He'll uh, either learn patience or learn how to adjust his remix so that it doesn't require those third-party packages and it can become a full-on flavor down the road. Farron OS reached five years this week. That's kind of exciting. Five years, Farron OS has been in development, and I really like where it's gone even in the last couple of years, going from Cinnamon to Plasma, and now it's it's a really, really fantastic experience. So I, I, I applaud Farron OS for all the work being done there. There was some uh, really interesting community feedback uh, concerning getting into Network Administrator. A lot of great advice. 
the advice that I think I, I really like the most is get your hands on some cheap used equipment or get the uh, Debian Network Administrator Handbook. But, uh, but I really like the idea of getting real equipment to build and test. And I think Eric Adams gave some good advice about starting with some small aspect of network administration and expanding from there. So once you grasp some concepts in one area, then you can learn more and more and more and keep building on that knowledge. You know, I network administer my house, but it's nothing real complicated. Very basic stuff. And I understand the basic stuff very well, so I get where it's coming from. It's a lot easier to have a good base foundation and then just start adding bits to it as opposed to trying to understand a large kettle of mess. I thought that was pretty cool. There's some other bits of advice too about some YouTube channels like Network Chuck, and I think maybe there were some others, but I, I don't recall exactly. And I didn't write it down, so there you go. Another thing too that I thought was a really good conversation was on computer ebook readers. Now I use a Kindle, good, bad, or otherwise, but it's what I bought into some oh ten years ago now, I think. And I've been very happy with a Kindle mostly. I haven't had uh I never bought nineteen eighty four, so never had that ripped away from me. But I do like the idea of having my own ebooks, my own ebook collection, and sometimes I, I read them on the computer. Not not as often as I do on the Kindle. It's nice to be able to organize my ebooks on the computer. And so my application of choice for that is Calibre. To me, it's very powerful. I can, the nice way to look at all my, everything that I have, be able to search through it. And also, if I want to send it to my Kindle, I can very easily do that from Calibre. And so it's a pretty fantastic application. I've donated to the project in the past, and I probably should again. For my OpenSUSE corner, got some news. Uh, the OpenSUSE and LibreOffice virtual conference extends its call for papers. The organizers, the OpenSUSE and LibreOffice Virtual Conference are extending the call for papers to August 4th. Participants can submit talks for the live conference past the original deadline of July 21st. The conference is scheduled to take place online from October 15th through the 17th. The length of the talks can be submitted in either a 15-minute short talk, a 30-minute normal talk, and or a 60-minute work group session. Organizers believe shortening the talks will keep attendees engaged for the duration of the online conference. The conference will have technical talks about LibreOffice, OpenSUSE, open source, cloud, containers, and more. Extra time for questions and answers after each talk is possible, and the talks will be recorded. The conference will schedule frequent breaks for networking and socializing. Which kind of wonder how that works. How do you... You know, it'd be kind of fun if you had like a Second Life kind of a virtual conference. Remember Second Life, the game? Terrible game. But the idea of like, you know, walking around virtually and talking to people. You know, create like an avatar. Uh, maybe that's crazy, but that'd be kind of fun. The conference will be using a live conferencing platform and will allow presenters with limited bandwidth to play a talk they recorded should they wish not to present a live talk. The presenter will have the possibility to control the video as well as pause, rewind, and fast forward it. Attendees can customize their own schedule by adding sessions that they would like to participate in once the platform is ready. More information about the platform will be available in future news articles at news.opensusa.org. The release team asks for feedback in OpenSUSE Leap 15.2. The OpenSUSE release team would like feedback from users, developers, and stakeholders about the release of the community-developed OpenSUSE Leap 15.2 through a survey. The survey is available at survey.opensusa.org. The latest version of OpenSUSE Leap was released on July 2nd. The survey centers on these two questions. What went well and what didn't go well? Now I can say I installed it. I've been using it now. I've been very happy with it. It's been extremely stable. I would say the performance of Leap 15.2 seems to be substantially better than 15.1. Don't know why. Maybe it's all in my head, but 
I think it runs a lot better. I didn't do any benchmarking, but I just noticed that everything seems a lot more peppy and it could be uh, the improvements in plasma, could be the improvements in the kernel. I really couldn't say, but I know that it does feel like a really great, well-polished release. The only thing I can say is I do wish it had a dark theme as default, like back in the OpenSUSE 13 days before Leap. For my Tumbleweed Snapshot Roundup, Snapshot 2020-0728 has a pending stable release of 99, updates to FFmpeg 4, Sudo had some updates, which when I initially saw it, I thought, what would Sudo need to have changed, but is a Sudo plugin for Python. Snapshot 2020-0727 has a pending stable of 99, the big thing there is Yast is now at version 4.3.17. 2020 has a pending stable of 99 with updates to the Mesa drivers to 20.1.4. And this is a, just a bug fix for the 20.1 branch. Just a few fixes here and there. Nothing too major. Gnome disk utility is at 3.36.3. Fix creating partitions by using special parameters when requesting the maximal partition size and updated translations. Snapshot 2020.07.24 is a stable 97. Updates Network Manager, Flatpak, Kernel Firmware, and Pipewire. Pipewire had a bunch of sub-packages updated, like LibPipewire, LibPipewire Modules, and so forth. 2020.07.21 has a stable score of 94. Mozilla Firefox got had some updates, specifically to the LibAV Codex. LibZip has been updated to 17.24.1. Some fixes here and there, and... Snapshot 2020-0720 has a stable score of 95. And the big thing there is the kernel source is now at 5.7.9. Numerous fixes, most of which I don't really understand. But a fun one was KVM ARM64 at a plug race between non-residency and version 4.1 doorbell. I don't know what that means, but the fact that I use doorbell makes me smile. For my computer history retrospective, a 1983 episode of Computer Chronicles talking about the microchip technology. I kind of smiled when I, I noticed that the sponsor of this episode of Computer Chronicles was by Microfocus. And I've seen some others sponsored by Microfocus as well. But it kind of made me smile. I wonder if this is the same company that owned SUSE at one time. I don't know. Herb Lechner admitted that he predicted totally incorrectly about how small the microchip could get. He was thinking in terms of feet and inches when they were much, much smaller. Bill Downing of the AMD, same AMD, was the industry guest of the show. And since at least 1983, manufacturers have been using CAD systems to design, print, and ultimately end up on the silicon. At this time, they made jumps from the 10,000 transistor to 100,000 transistor chips. Also, the transistors were 1.5 micrometers. Now, today's transistors, that's like the, like the current AMD Ryzen, is 7 nanometers in spacing and they pack in over 3 billion transistors. So 1983, 100,000 transistors on the average, to today, three over 3 billion transistors. I think just shy of 4 billion, actually. That means that today's processors are 1 214th the size of what they were almost 40 years ago. And I think that's pretty amazing. So at the time, in 1983, there was about a 10% reduction of size per year of the microprocessor, which really is pretty amazing. It went from contact printing to projection imaging, which enabled fewer defects and more economically produced chips. As feature sizes go down, the cleaner the production room must be. They also built in redundancy to chips, so if there are defects, they can be programmed out in order to maintain production quantities. 
Now, I'm, I'm vaguely aware of a similar process that is used today where chips that do not test as good are essentially lower grade chips. This is often known as CPUs. I know like the Celeron line, to my understanding, is not much more than a more powerful chip that was tested with defects and they scaled down the capability to be a lesser design, turn off the features that, that didn't check out essentially. Now, what I thought was interesting was CMOS technology was developed to reduce the power consumption and heat generation of chips as more circuitry and features are packed onto a single chip. Those additional features were generating unacceptable levels of power consumption and heat. So CMOS, or complementary MOS, solved this by only using power when switching and not when in a static state. This was key in producing more complex chips. So now the state of the art at the time, in 1983, was in the neighborhood of 500,000 transistors on a chip. So that was the top. It wasn't the average, but that was kind of the state of the art. In 1983, they were predicting the next five years there would be four megabit memory chips and a reduction in the cost per bit of memory. So the cost per bit of memory in 1983 was about one millisecond per bit of memory. The future at that time was predicted would cost half a millisecond to a quarter of a millisecond per bit, which was, you know, an incredible reduction in cost. By contrast, today, a 32 gigabyte DDR4 SODIMM costs about $123. So that is 0.00000000048 dollars or 4.47 to the negative eighth cents per bit. So the cost is extremely small. The point of that is, the value of computers today is enormous. So you, and when you put it in perspective, computers are not only far less expensive, they're also far more reliable, and it's really amazing how well all of this stuff works, and all that we can do, and all that we can enjoy, because one of the most plentiful components that we have in this earth, called silicon. We're often focused on the negative in the world almost hyper-focused on it. You know, the things that are bad or could be improved, and we often become resentful as a consequence. If we spend more time focusing on the miracles that bring us the technology and comforts that we get to enjoy day in and day out, I really think the world would be a better place. Take a little time and pause and look around and say, what are all the great things that we get to enjoy today that were not possible 50 years ago? I think you'll find a lot. I know I would rather live today despite any of the bad that's going on, I would rather live today than 50 or 100 years ago. As always, thank you once again for listening to this noodling of nerdy nonsense. If you have any corrections or further thoughts on anything I brought up, feel free to fire it off through the email, stuff at cubiclenate.com. For more of my nonsense, visit cubiclenate.com and use any method you'd like on the contact page to get a hold of me. I'll get to it as quickly as I can. Until next time, see us.